Thank you for listening to the Parker DC Sermon Podcast. The following message is a ministry of Parker Memorial Baptist Armorville campus. We aim to be biblically faithful, Christ exalting, and God glorifying as we preach and teach the scriptures with boldness and application. We hope you will join us in person this Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for worship celebration. For more information about Parker DC, visit us at www.dclivelove.com. We hope you enjoy. Thank you. Uh, out the side door. Dale, you have to stay with us. Uh, so are the rest of you guys. And Phil needs to stay with us too. I know that that's kind of hard uh, for the rest of you. If you have a Bible, if you'll open your Bible to the book of Zephaniah. If you don't know where Zephaniah is, go to the New Testament. Take a left about three books. You'll find the book of Zephaniah. Uh, we are, I think week 10, 11, I'm losing count now, into the series on the minor prophets called God and the Ruins. And uh, let me pause real quick. We all just thank our worship team. They have done a fantastic job. Uh, Jason doing a great job. Appreciate you guys. And uh, earlier, I, there was, y'all may not have noticed this. Nick snuck in real quickly to play the piano because Maddie was doing something. And they just kind of seamlessly did that. I don't know how that happened. Uh, Nick looked at me and he's like, do I need to play the piano? I'm like, well, I can't play the piano. So uh, that was pretty sweet. It was pretty sweet. So anyway, so nonetheless, I'm proud of those, uh, those people. So God, thank you for that. Anyway. The book of Zephaniah, we're going to be jumping there in just a minute, but I want to kind of lay the groundwork again. I'm going to kind of go quick this morning. Uh, I'm going to attempt, my best attempt, uh, to preach a shorter message this morning. Zephaniah uh, was a prophet during Judah. Look at the essentials real quickly. Uh, around 630 B.C., okay? Uh, if you don't know the timeline, it's about 50 years, 45, 50 years before the fall of Judah to the uh, Babylonians. And so we're on the Judah timeline. Remember, we've got the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And this is the southern kingdom. And the last of all, the last of our minor prophets the next few weeks will be in the southern kingdom. So we're just going to camp out there for a little while. Uh, he was really a, a contemporary in some overlap. It's Nahum, who's a prophet to Assyria. And Habakkuk, who's also a prophet to Judah. So there's a little bit of overlap there in their ministries as well. And Zephaniah sees the very near, over the next couple of generations, invasion of Babylon on Jerusalem and Judah. And I'm going to tell you, as a result of that, it's, it's a harsh book, okay? He's also a prophet during one of Judah's best kings, okay? Have you ever heard of King Josiah before? Josiah was very young when he took the reign of Judah, was a very good king, by and large, very good king in Judah. Judah had a few of them. Israel had none of them, okay, as far as good kings. And so there was, it's almost kind of like, well, God, things seem to be getting better. Are you sure? And God's like, yeah, I still see the full end of man, and it's going to come to a ruin. And so he's, he's prophesying about that, even while there's a little bit of revival in the nation of Judah, okay? And I mentioned this a minute ago. Man, if you look at Zephaniah, and I, I shared this with several people this week. If you look at Zephaniah chapter 1, chapter 2, and about halfway through Zephaniah chapter 3, it's like Doomsday Prophet Part 2, which I almost called him the Doomsday Prophet Part 2. But the last half of chapter 3 is incredible. Incredible, okay? So you got, y'all ever had to push through a hard task, a task you didn't like to get to the good stuff? Y'all ever been there with me before? Or maybe it's dinner, okay? How many of y'all really like eating your greens? Like you like the, all the green stuff. You like, okay, that's some of you, okay? Now how many of you kids or teenagers like green stuff? Raise your hand. All right, just, just a couple of you st- weird ones. Anyway, all right, we, I'm just kidding. Uh, most kids don't. I, I'm a kid. I consider myself a kid. I push through the greens to get to the stuff that I really like to eat. Amen, right? Because the greens are good for you, but the, the good stuff is later on. I'm a meat and tater kind of person. Amen, right? 
Like sometimes you got to eat your lima beans and you got to eat your green beans and you got to eat your peas along with your meat and your taters, okay? So push through. Now, so Zephaniah is a lot like that. You got to push through the first two and a half chapters. And by the way, they're very important chapters. I'm not minimizing the importance of, uh, let's, let me just kind of give you the su- summary of, okay, wrath is coming, discipline, judgment, day of the Lord, wrath, discipline, judgment, day of the Lord. Come to Israel, come to Judah, come to Jerusalem, come to all the nations around them, back to Jerusalem, all nations, judgment, discipline, wrath, there it is, okay? That's the summary, two and a half chapters, okay? Wasn't that fun? Woo, y'all want to stand up and hold hands and sing kumbaya together, okay? That's, it's kind of one of those, like, beginnings, okay? All right? And then we get to chapter 3, which is absolutely remarkable, all right? And I want to I preface this uh, this way. Number one, your worship guide. If you have a worship guide, take this thing out. If you're at home, take a, a notepad, Bible out. I want you to write this, de- this, this down. Desperation is the fertile soil of restoration. Desperation is the fertile soil of restoration. You know what desperation is? It's the bottom of the pit, right? Where things are so bad that only God can help you, amen? You realize that you are at the end of yourself, Life is not good. You know you're not good. Things are on every level are just bad. And you are what you call desperate. Have you ever been desperate before? And you don't have to raise your hand or anything. But we probably all say, you know, I've been desperate before, right? I remember back in high school, I was a desperate for a date, you know. And I had to con girls into going out with me. You know, I was desperate for a date, date you know. Not really like that kind of desperation. But never been desperate for maybe the finances weren't good. And you were, ooh, we're getting down to the bottom. Or, or maybe, maybe uh, marriage wasn't good and you were getting desperate. Maybe a friendship was broken in, in, in ruins and, and, and something had to give, right? That could be a good moment. Let me tell you why. It could be a good moment if, if we look to God in that moment. Amen? If we look up. How oftentimes do we get to the bottom of the pit and all we do is we look around at the pit and we look down at our situation and God is saying from the top of the pit, look up here. I want to restore you and bring you back. And that is exactly where Israel is about to go over the next couple of generations. All right. Chuck Swindoll says it this way. Our God is a master at turning devastation into restoration. Let me tell you something. That is the story of my life. If you would be willing to say that, would you just say amen out loud if that's the story of your life? Amen. That's the story of my life. The Bible teaches that we are all sinners. And as a result of our sinnersness, that's not a right word, sinnersness, we all deserve death. Separation eternally from God. We could not on any good account of our own find our way to God. We were hopeless and we were desperate. But God demonstrates his love for us. While we were desperate and in our sin, Christ died. For us. And so God has been doing this, by the way, since creation. He's been restoring things back to himself. So if you have a Bible, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14. I want you to get, y'all, y'all, y'all move your arms around like this. Shake your arms around with me. It's a little sleepy, rainy day today, okay? All right? All right? Because we're about to find some joy in a text, okay? And I'm going to get happy preacher for a minute, okay? All right? Hellfire brimstone preacher, that was chapters 1, 2, and part of 3. Now we get to the really joyful part, okay? All right? You can thank me later for this part. Sing aloud. O daughter of Zion, or a daughter of Jerusalem, shout, O Israel. Why would we shout? Are we shouting in, in dismay or in frustration or desperation? Oh, no, 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 no. Because we've fast-forwarded it. 
Okay, fast forward, nation of Israel, Babylon comes in, there's going to be 70 years of of exile, and then the Lord will bring back Israel back to her homeland, bring Jerusalem back to Jerusalem. Later on, the nation of Israel would again be reconstituted in the 40s. Later on, after our our lifetime, there will be a renewal, restoration once again, the book of Revelation. So shout for the future work of God. Amen? We'll start preaching. Rejoice! Some of you Baptists don't look like you're very joyful. Rejoice and exalt with all of your heart. Is it possible when we get to text like this, we read these words, but we don't feel the emotion? I feel the emotion of this. Exalt with all of your heart. Like sometimes we come in on Sunday mornings and we're just like, praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise his name forevermore. I'm like, I wonder if God's like, really? You praising me? Really? With all of your heart. Now, some of y'all are like, well, I'm afraid to worship God like that in public because I don't want to be judged. Listen, we are not a a Pentecostal church, but it's okay if we're a little Baptist church. If the Lord leads you to clap your hands, clap your hands. If the Lord leads you to lift your hands, lift your hands. If the Lord leads you to come to the altar and pray, come to the altar and pray. If the Lord leads you to sit right there in your chair and cry out to God in tears, then by all means, sit there and cry out to God in tears. But don't let people around you affect your heart in worship. Rejoice and exalt with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Verse 15, the Lord, he has done something amazing. He has taken away the judgments against you. And he has cleared away your enemies. Now, I know the historical context. We've been talking about this like we're beating a dead horse over the last two months. Now, we know the historical consequence. But I want you to look at the spiritual aspect of this. This is a reference also to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel in Zephaniah. Read it again. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. Is it possible that that Zephaniah is even referring to the judgments against you being that which is held against you in your sin? And, And your enemies being your sin and your death. But God, but God has given you mercy. Number two in your worship, God. God's forgiveness should fuel Great joy. Amen? Because in the absence of judgment, we find peace, don't we? When, listen, when I'm pardoned from my sin, when I'm pardoned from my guilt, you know what I find? I find peace with the judge. Amen? This is the gospel. This is exactly why we should be joyful people, church. This is why we should never gather on Sunday morning and sing haphazardly and be distracted by what's around us or worry whatever else anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter. It has no bearing on the fact that I should be joyful because I am forgiven. Amen? I should be a joyful person. Like everything else in our world could be burning down. But if we look to God and realize, you know what, God has forgiven us so much and we now have a right standing with God through Jesus Christ, then by all means we should be joyful. It should change the way that we view life. It should change our attitudes towards people. It should certainly affect the way that we worship corporately. Amen? Or oh my. Daniel chapter 9, verse 9 says, To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Daniel, from speaking on the other side of the exile, says, You know what? We, we realize God is merciful and forgiveness, and we didn't deserve it. C.S. Lewis says this way. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Listen carefully. Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. That's forgiveness. He has forgiven the inexcusable 
in you. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You know why we sing about the cross so much? Because we need to remember that there was a price paid for our sin. Amen? We cannot make salvation and Christianity just pretty. We cannot. We need to see the blood that was cost and spent for our sin. We need to see the blood of Christ. As Michael Fry says, he says, salvation is accompanied by a bloody price tag. Forgetting that can make it easy to dismiss or even diminish salvation. God is a forgiving God and he has paid the price of ransom for our sin. He has pardoned us. And that, for that reason and that reason alone, we should be joyful people. Verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. Like this, like, okay, so there's reasons to be joyful here. And I'm going to go ahead and give you all of them, okay? In this text, we're going to look at all. God has forgiven you your sin. You should be joyful for that. God is with you. He's in the midst of you. You should be joyful about that, right? God is for you. You're going to see that in a second. He's for you as well, okay? Not that you're perfect. Not that God thinks you're the, the cream of everything whatsoever and everything revolves around you. But he loves you. He has care for you. So he's for you. But he also, listen, I love this part. God also rejoices over you, okay? All of that is reason to be joyful this morning. Y'all aren't joyful yet. I'm saying y'all look like, bless me if you can, preacher. Get me out of here early, preacher. Oh, the Lord is in your midst, he says. You shall never again fear evil. Never again. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that he is the devil, this enemy, and deliver all those who through fear of death, through fear of death, were subjected to lifelong slavery, Listen, he says this, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil, this enemy of Satan, this enemy of sin and death. This is the gospel according to Zephaniah. On that day shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weary. Number three, living in the fear of evil is contradictory to walking by faith in God. Somebody please say amen to that. Living in the fear of evil is contradictory to walking by faith in God. Tomorrow, our culture will glorify sin and death and evil. It's that, it's that holiday, right? But I want you to know this. That sin and death and evil has already been defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? So tomorrow, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of our culture. I'm not afraid of our politics. I'm not afraid of anything save God and maybe my mama and my wife. Amen? Fear is the absolute contradiction to biblical faith. And, and this is maybe one of my biggest concerns over the last several years is we have allowed in the church fear to reign supreme. Fear is an awful God. It leads us to impulsive decisions. And a life that's disobedient to what God has explicitly said in his word. Now, I believe in wisdom. Don't get me wrong. I believe in discernment. But I do not believe that, that fear is biblical. Psalm 23, verse 4. The psalmist writes, David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David says, I will not fear evil, for you are with me. Why can David say that? Because if God's for you, 
What are you supposed to be afraid of? I love, there's this great contemporary Christian song out right now by Josh Wilson. And I love this line. It says, the things that I'm afraid of are afraid of you. Woo! That dog will hunt. The things that I'm afraid of are afraid of you, God. So I have no reason to fear evil. God is in my midst. He is with me. Verse 17, the Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Let's go back to the fact that we have God with us. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. We should be joyful that God is with us. Matthew chapter 28, y'all know the Great Commission, right? We've talked about it a couple thousand times, right? Matthew chapter 28, right? The very end of Matthew chapter 28 says these words, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, here is one of the most precious promises of God. Listen carefully. I am with you Always. And some of y'all's version says, Lo, I am with you always. And so you don't want to go on an airplane. By the way, he's with you high as well. Okay, amen? I'm with you always to the end of the age. What a great promise of God that God is with us. He's in our midst, and there is nothing that we go through by ourselves. You ever felt lonely before? You ever felt like nobody cared before? You ever felt like you were, I'm all alone, ain't nobody there? Donkey. God is with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. And then it says this. Listen, I love this text. He says, a mighty one who will save. Now, there's a lot to talk about here, okay? So just listen carefully. A mighty one who will save. First of all, we've got to talk about the might, okay? And then we'll talk about the saving. You realize, and we're going to talk about this in, in, in the very end, you realize our God is not limited by anything whatsoever, Right? There is nothing out of the possibility of God. He is all-powerful. If you want to go ahead and fill in number seven, get you ahead of the schedule, and you might even, like, beat me to the end of the sermon, okay? God is, why are you laughing over there? Omnipotent. His omnipotence means that he is all-powerful. He's control over all things. And as a result of that, our salvation to him, listen, it's entirely possible, but not on our own merit. Number four, the greatest act of both God's love and God's power is the redemption of sinful humanity. Listen, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get you to see some joy in this. Y'all with me? Chapter one is Zephaniah, doom, gloom, hell, fire, brimstone, day of the Lord. Here it comes, judgment, judgment, wrath, wrath. Chapter two, same song, next verse, going to get better? Nope, going to get worse. Chapter three, the first, what a while. Oh, my, here we go yet again. Preacher, can we get off hell, fire, brimstone? And then chapter four, or three, verse 14. And all you find from this point, last little bit, is joy. Joy. Though the sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. Grace act of both God's love and God's power is the redemption of sinful humanity. Augustine, the great church father, said the grace of God does not find men fit for salvation, but he makes them so. Let's talk about salvation for a minute, salvation of God. Psalm 62, verse 1. You can write these right there in your worship guide. There's a place for references if you want to write these down. For God alone my soul waits in silence. For from him comes my salvation, David says. Psalms 3, verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people, Selah. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for what? 
Oh, come on, Baptist. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for what? Salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. In a favorable time, I listen to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of what, church? Some of y'all getting it. Y'all, some of y'all ain't got it yet. Hang in there. Acts chapter 4, Peter. I, like this, what is the message of the early church? This is why I think it's important for us as a church to go back and preach gospel-centered messages. And everything we look at in the text better be gospel-centered. Because you know what the early church did? That's all they did. The early church did not preach seven ways to happiness. It did not. The early church did not preach your best life now. You know what the early church preached? Christ crucified. Buried and raised. From every chapter... From every verse that they could find. That's what the early church did. And by golly, if it was good enough for the early church, I think it should be good enough for the 21st century church too, amen? This is what, what Peter says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12. He says, and there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven which is given among men by which we must be saved. What is this end of Zephaniah about? It's about your salvation. You realize that? The joy that should come with your salvation. One of my favorite songs, Jason, is that song, There's Joy in the House of the Lord. Right? Have you ever walked in on a Sunday morning and it was just like, oh. You ever been there before? I mean, I, I've been at church all my life, okay? Preacher's kid, I've been to church. I was drugged to church, amen? I'm glad I was drugged to church, right? Um, you know, I, mean, I get in trouble for being drugging, drugging your kids to church nowadays, but I don't know. So I was drugged to church. But I, I remember going in some churches that was just like, oh. By the Lord, we're going to bless the Lord today. And we'll endure our long sermon from the preacher. And we'll go home and we'll do it again next week. And it was like a, like somebody was pulling teeth, like getting a root canal. And there was no joy. You ever walked in a church before, and the moment you hit the parking lot, you're just like, ooh, there's something different. You walked in and you heard laughter. You heard love. You, you, you heard people who cared about Christ and cared about each other, and there was just semblance of joy. A few weeks ago, I walked in. It was, a, it was a week or two ago. I walked in, and I just all I heard was laughter and joy. And I'm telling you, anything good for your preacher's heart, that's it. And you walk into the church, and all of a sudden, all you hear is laughter and joy and love. It's like, wow, this is great. This is great. Now, it should be that way every Sunday. It's a challenge, okay? But listen, again, that's what salvation does. This is why David in Psalm chapter 51, he says, Restore to me the joy of my what? Because when you, when you get in sin, sin leads to conflict in your heart and with others, right? Then there's no joy. When we're all pursuing Christ, there's inner joy, but there's also corporate joy. Amen? Zephaniah goes on. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will calm you by his love. He'll give you peace by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is one of the hard things for me to grasp, okay? Like on, on Sunday mornings, we gather and we sing to God, okay? A lot of times we, we want to make a distinction between uh, horizontal worship, which is singing about God and Christ, and vertical worship, okay? Horizontal, vertical, horizon, vertical, okay? All right? 
I think the best worship is when worship is focused here, okay? Now, there's certainly we should sing songs about God to others. That's great. But especially in corporate worship, I think most of those songs should be here, right? And so there's this, 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 this directional thing, like we're singing and glorifying God. Now, imagine the reverse of that, that God is exulting over us. And then we're going to ask, well, why? I'm glad you asked the question. He's not exalting over us because you're something special. He's not exalting over you because you're worthy. He's exalting over you because you are the product of his salvation. Amen? And he is pleased with his salvation. Amen? And therefore, therefore, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exalt over you with loud singing. I want to hear God sing. Amen? I bet it sounds good. It's got to sound better than me. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jay. First John chapter 4 speaks of God's love. God does not just love, he is love. By the way, at the very end, we get to that, that attribute, and I almost just put God as love. That's a given, okay? I gave you the God is omnipotent because I think that's really profound in, in the salvation part. But let's talk about his love for a minute. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is what? God's love. Y'all fill in the blanks with me. Is this the, isn't this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son in the world that we might live through him? In this is love. Not that we have loved God. Not that we gave God reason to rejoice over us. No, 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 no. But that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, he is in us, because he has given us his spirit. Continue reading. And we have seen and testified the Father that sent, him, sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is God. Read on. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is. God is. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Oh. The day of judgment. Chapter 1, chapter 2, part of chapter 3. The end result of all humanity. There will be. Judgment, we'll have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is also, as he is so also, we are in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so what is, what is this saying? It's saying because God is love and he's acted as love, he rejoices over his love and the outcome of his love, which is your salvation. John, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. This is not elementary stuff, church. This is profound. I am not lovable sometimes. My wife could say, amen. You're not always lovable. But God loves you anyway. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 to 39. I like this one, okay? Y'all ready? Y'all ain't ready? Okay. 
No. In all these we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. Listen carefully. It is not about the fact that I love God. It's about the fact that he loved me first. When we get that wrong, when we change the direction of that, we make the salvation and the gospel so much about me, don't we? It's about how I feel. It's not about how I feel. It's about what God has already chose. Amen? What God has already done for me because he loved me before I even knew of him. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, Paul says, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor ghosts, nor goblins, or witches, or anything that happens tomorrow, whatever, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the entire church should say, Amen. Oh, it's because of his love. It's not because of my love. My love's fickle. My love is tainted by sin. His love is holy. As one author said, God loves you more in a moment than anyone could ever do in a lifetime. Another author said, God's love is like an ocean. You can see its beginning, but not its end. Go on. Number five, God delights in our salvation. Not because we accomplished it, but that he did. This joy that we, we, we this, this moment, like we can be joyful, right? And he can be joyful. But the joy that we feel over our salvation has to be a, a, a joy of appreciation and thankfulness. Because we didn't do it. God did it for us. You with me? Say, uh-huh. And the joy and, and, the, and the worship, the praise and the glory that he feels over his salvation is because of his work of doing it. It's a different vantage point. God delights in our salvation, not because we accomplished it, but because he did it. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing, regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit of, of God. Piper said it this way, Our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. They are not the foundation. They are demonstration. When you get that wrong, we mess the gospel up. This is the gospel according to Zephaniah. When you get that wrong, you mess the gospel up. Works is not the root of my salvation. It is the fruit of my salvation. I serve the Lord Jesus not to make him happy. I serve the Lord Jesus because he's working and making me holy. I'm not trying to earn favor. He's already extended favor. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. I can't say that and not use these verses. You realize that, right? It's like, like, like Paul's like gravy. For by grace you've been saved through faith. He emphasizes these words. By grace you have been saved through faith, which came first, the chicken or the egg. Grace came first, then faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works that no one can boast. We are my workmanship. No, 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 no. We are his workmanship. The word can be masterpiece. His, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 18. I'm almost there, I promise you. I've almost got like one point left, okay? Woo, right? Amen? All right. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival. 
so you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all of your oppressors. I'll deal with your enemies. This is talking of Israel now, bringing and restoring Israel, but he's also speaking of the church. Have you ever read the book of Revelation and see where these glorious moments where the church gets redemption? Oh, they're there. And the saints are crying out before the Father, God, vindicate us, vindicate us. And guess what God does? He vindicates the church. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in. At that time when I gather you together, I will make renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortune before your eyes, says the Lord. Now that last little expression here, I don't think it's pronounced well or translated well in ESV. It actually says this, Yahweh has spoken. Do you feel like that, the authority of that? I, okay, we're kind of a Star Wars nerds in our family. I think this one character who says, I have spoken. This is the way. Mandalorian, right? It's like God says, I have spoken. This is the way. Now, think, think about the implication of this historically. All right? Israel and Judah have been divided for a, for a couple of centuries at this point, and they will continue to be divided. But what we're talking about is not just the restoration of Judah. What he's telling Israel is, I'm going to bring the 12 tribes back together. I'm bringing the kinfolk back together. It's going to be a family reunion. I'm going to rebuild my people. And what the enemy meant to divide and disperse and destroy, I am, I am mighty to save. And I am mighty to restore. Mighty to save. Mighty to restore. Why? Because I said I would. You think about it, all the great works of God in the Bible. You know what he, what was a tool of that? His word. Creation. God spoke it into existence. Time and time again, words of affirmation, words of prophecy, words of judgment, spoken word of God. God's word means something. Number six. God never revokes his promises. He will always keep his word. Always. So we got, we got to back up for just a second. Just like, we'll be like 30 second back up. Abraham, there was a promise made to Abraham. There was a promise made to Isaac. There was a promise made to Jacob. There's a promise made to God's people of Israel that through them, through the branch of David, there would be a Messiah. And God did not forget that promise. Regardless of what's going on around it. We can trust in God's promise and his word. First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Peter says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through uh, that you may become uh, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. We're also told by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that all the promises of God find their yes, their affirmation in Christ. As J.I. Packer says this, the stars may fall, but God's promises will stand and be fulfilled. When God says it's going to happen, let me tell you something. I don't have any idea what the stock market's going to do tomorrow. I have no idea who wins the World Series. I have no idea who wins the Iron Bowl this year, but I guarantee you this. What God has promised in his word, he will keep it true, and it's going to happen. I don't think Vegas is going to vote on that or, 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 or going to bid on that. And I'm not telling you to go gamble on that. But I can affirm to you it's going to happen. Because God always keeps 
his word. Restoration is promised in the Bible and is seen everywhere in the Bible. Isaiah 61 verse 7, instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, you shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. In our life as a new covenant Christian, check out this aspect of restoration. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Christian, don't let the enemy bring up double jeopardy on you. You are not who you once were. Amen? The Lord has restored you. You tell that punk to leave you alone. Amen? First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Our God is mighty to save. Emphasize attribute is easy. It's God's omnipotent. I almost said omnipresent. Omnipotent. Which I define as he has absolute power over all things. And he is the source of that power. Not that he has a power and he has to borrow from somebody else's power. No, no. He is the source of the power over all things. Psalm 147.5. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Some people ask me, why do you use so much cross-references? Because I believe in preaching the Bible. Nothing I say is worth anything. But everything God says is worth everything. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. That doesn't sound like a puny God to me. That doesn't sound like a limited God to me. According to the power at work within us, which is his Holy Spirit of God. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary. Why do we have the Sabbath day? Let me tell you something. God rested on the seventh day in creation not because he needed to rest, but so that you would rest one day. It ain't about his power. It ain't about his, well, God got tired and he'd take a siesta. Nuh-uh. Jeremiah 32, verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And the answer to that is no. So Zephaniah, the gospel according to Zephaniah. Judgment, wrath, doom, day of the Lord. Judgment, wrath, doom, day of the Lord. Judgment, wrath, doom, day of the Lord. But God, he is mighty to save. And he has done that eternally through the person of Jesus Christ. Who has paid for your sin. Who have pardoned your iniquity who's allowed you a new hope that this present life and all the rubbish and garbage and all whatever is nothing compared to glory of heaven one day, but the presence and the peace of God in you today. My God is mighty to save. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this text. God, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I pray that, Lord, we'd internalize it, we'd apply it to our life. If there's anyone here who's not been saved, who's never repented of their sin, have placed their full way of their trust in Christ for their salvation today, let it be the day of salvation in the house of the Lord. Lord, let there not be another day in the house of the Lord here or anywhere else where we forget of this great salvation. And we, we minimize, or we 
we just take it as, eh, meh, the work that you've done for our salvation. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are mighty to save, to restore, to reconcile broken relationships, Lord, to rebuild that which has been torn down. And so, Lord, today we pray that you would do that. Lord, if there's anyone who needs to repent of sin, lead into repentance. Anyone needs to join the body of Christ, join the body of Christ. Lord, have your way today, our God, who's mighty to save. We pray that in Jesus' name.